It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast. The Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy. Online. On DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Uh, Nick Gibb, good morning to you. Good morning, Julia. Oh, good morning. Lovely to uh, have your company this morning. Well, four out of ten schools in England apparently going back today. Uh, the rest going back over the coming days. Um, any school that doesn't reopen, any teacher who doesn't return to work without a very good health reason, um, what's going to happen to them? Well, my understanding from the NAHT surveys and the own, our own surveys up and down with our regional teams is that all schools will be opening. Uh, and whether or not uh, individual teachers return to work, that's a matter between the teacher and the head teacher. But I'm confident that we'll have the schools opening and that parents will be sending their children into school. It's important for their mental health that they are in school with their friends. Uh, and it's important for their long-term uh, you know, life chances that they resume their education in schools. And schools have gone to enormous lengths uh, over the summer based on our guidance that we issued uh, in early July uh, to make sure that the schools are safe with extra hand sanitizers in classrooms, with more hand basins, with, with bubbles to keep children uh, from unnecessarily mixing with other children uh, beyond those bubbles, uh, one-way systems in schools, uh, staggered luncheon uh, breaks and uh, playtime breaks, and also that the, the staff have been kept safe as well by having a two metre gap between the front row of a, of a, in a classroom and the teachers themselves. So huge measures to keep both pupils and teachers safe in the school. Uh, what do you make of a criticism of a head teacher we spoke to earlier, Alan Brooks, he's uh, Kent Association of Head Teachers Chair. He said to me um, that the advice from the government has been remarkably inconsistent uh, on the reopening of schools and things have been very last minute. We've seen lots of changes we saw, didn't we, ahead of the bank holiday weekend. Friday night, new guidance issued on what schools should do in the event of a high rate of coronavirus in the local area and a local lockdown and the like. Um, what do you make of that criticism that actually you know, the, the help from uh, the central government has been a rather inconsistent? Well, the advice about opening schools was published on the 2nd of July, and that's over two months, that's two months ago. And that's what schools have been using uh, as a basis for the preparations they're making for for this week. In terms of the guidance issued on Friday, that is about what happens uh, in local areas when a school has to close. No schools are closed as a consequence of any of the local lockdowns at the moment. All schools, even in those areas, will be open and children will be safe to return to those schools. So the guidance that came out on Friday, it has to go through uh, all kinds of clearance processes. It has to have the most up-to-date uh, um, medical and scientific advice, uh, and it has to be cleared by all those 
uh, all those uh, specialists within government before it's published. But we do publish these guidance as soon as we possibly can. And that's why it went out late Friday evening. But again, that relates to later uh, when, when and if there are uh, reasons for schools to have to close. Well, if schools do close, will we uh, finally be prepared to make sure that all of the children who need lessons are getting lessons? Uh, we had a big issue with lots of very disadvantaged children, those who most need education to help them with their lives ahead, uh, missing out on, on lessons the most, uh, partly because, frankly, some schools didn't do their job, but also because a lot of kids simply didn't have the equipment. They haven't got broadband at home, they haven't got a laptop, they haven't got a, an iPad. Uh, your government were very keen on the whole idea that you know we were going to find laptops, handing out laptops and uh, and uh, and iPads to kids galore. Um, but but most of those didn't actually appear until almost the end of term. Are you actually prepared for schools to close again and have all that equipment ready? Well, we procured over two hundred thousand uh, computers uh, in a very demanding global marketplace where everybody wants these items. It was one of the biggest procurements of computers in this country. And they were delivered on time to local authorities and to school trusts. On We've time? What was, when, 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 when was on time then? When did the first ones arrive uh, with schools? Well, some of them were there in June and then June. over the period of June and July. When did schools close, Minister? Uh, yeah. but let me just when, no, 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 sorry. When did schools okay. close? They closed uh, towards the end of July. They, no, no, no. no. Schools closed in March. And you're saying that you got 200,000, well, some some of the 200,000 screens to kids, well, to schools and then hand on to kids in June. I, and you're saying that, I mean, you yeah. think, do you, I mean, but, you I've know, got to be honest yeah, with you, I can pop to my local curries and get yeah. one quicker than that. No, well, you couldn't have popped into the local curries and bought 200,000 computers. They had to be built from scratch. It was one of the most successful. Why did they have to be built from scratch? Because you can't get 200,000. All the shops combined would not have 220,000 computers available. We procured them on the global market. They were built. They were transported. Some days, over 20,000 a day were being distributed to schools and local authorities. It was a hugely successful operation. And since then, we have acquired another 150,000 in reserve for, for circumstances where a school uh, has to close. And then they'll be distributed to those schools for those disadvantaged young people who may not have computers at home. But now we want young people back in school. That's where they are best equipped to catch up on the lost education they had. And I'm confident that pupils will be returning to school. We had a, we've had we've funded schools a billion pounds, a catch-up fund to help schools fund that extra tuition that their pupils will need to catch up. And a special, within that, £350 million for a national tutoring program for the most disadvantaged young people, one-to-one and small group tuition, which is a very effective way of ensuring that those young people can catch up. Okay, can you understand why a lot of people, though, who who would who would be largely supportive? I, I I've known you for many years, uh, Minister, and and I have absolute faith that, that genuinely that that you want the best for all kids to get a good education and particularly disadvantaged kids. I know this is a, a mission for you. I, I absolutely accept your good intentions, but do you understand why a lot of people even even people who voted for your government in December will be just sort of deep sighing <laughs> or indeed tearing their hair out at what, what the government has done. You're saying you know, the catch-up fund. We had all this talk about, you know, say the laptops, the screens going out. That was March. They didn't go out until June at the earliest. And then we had a whole load of talk about there were going to be summer schools. Well, they didn't happen. And the schools were going to go back. They weren't going to wear masks. Well, now they some of them are allowed to wear masks and you have to wear a mask in this scenario or that scenario. Um, we weren't going to move exams. Now we are. And we weren't, you know, there have been so many, you can call them U-turns or policies 
policy changes that an awful lot of parents and teachers who may have been very supportive are losing faith that this government does know what it's doing in this area. Do you not think that is a reasonable concern for people to have? None of the decisions that we've had to take during this pandemic have been easy. Every decision is a challenge. It's a challenge to close schools, to cancel exams, to bring about a a method of allocating grades that's fair and consistent between schools. Uh, We have to base every decision on the latest medical and scientific advice. So when we change our view on things like face masks being worn in communal areas of schools, that's because World Health Organization advice changes. And on the basis of that, our own scientific advice change as a, in relation to the p- particular circumstances of this country. And as soon as we get that advice, we change the advice to schools. This is never going to be a smooth journey as we tackle the consequences of the coronavirus. But what you can be assured of is that we will do everything it takes to make sure schools are safe. Uh, every school has been delivered a small number of home testing kits. Every school is going to be delivered is being delivered uh, a small quantity of personal protection equipment, uh, and uh, all schools have put in place. I've gone to enormous lengths to put in place protective, cleanly, clean, uh, hygiene measures, hand sanitizers, extra wash basins, one-way systems, staggered lunch breaks, and so on. All the measures have been put in place to make sure children are kept safe within the school. So, you know, the government is doing what it takes to get things done. But of course, it's never going to be smooth. There will be changes of advice. There will be changes of policy as the science and what we know about this virus changes. Let's talk about the changes to exams. We saw massive changes going on about uh, about, uh, how the exams were going to be marked this year. And I'd like to come back to that. But in terms of next year's exams, uh, the likes of the uh, chair of the Education Select Committee, uh, uh, Robert Halford, of course, himself a Tory MP, saying, look, you need to have, you know, absolutely clear instructions within the next week or so of what is going to happen with the exams next year. Labour Party been calling for those exams to be delayed. Is the plan now to delay those exams that would normally take place in May and June to as far late as as just to July? And how is that going to work when it comes to university applications uh, for those youngsters doing A-levels? Well, uh, we wrote to the regulator uh, in mid-June asking them to work with the exam boards, work with the department to find a way of increasing the amount of teaching time for those young people taking GCSEs uh, and A-levels, including looking at Uh, delaying the actual exam season next summer. There are issues to consider, as you hinted, at issues of the time it takes to mark them, uh, the time that uh, the lead time that universities need for applications. And there's also the issue within the United Kingdom of the other nations that use GCSEs, uh, Wales, Northern Ireland, about their term dates as well. So there are a whole range of factors that we have been looking at uh, over the last few weeks uh, in order to uh, to increase teaching time. Also, the regulator consulted on on how you assess uh, teach uh, students next year to reduce the burden of that assessment for yeah. the exam process itself again to free up more teaching time and then is saying an element of coursework this year um, and, and also you know hey here's an idea kids do work before your mock exams this time round it may well matter what about the issue over the exams this year we, of course we had you know, let's we, we had the teacher made this teachers made the assessments and then basically across the board we were going to have a whole load of kids doing an awful lot better than they normally would and then we had the algorithm to try and uh, uh, sort of mark those kids down to what they would probably have got in real time uh, and of course then lots of kids were 
lockdown. It affected disadvantaged kids more than private school kids. And then the government basically said, go back. You can just have the marks that you already had from the schools. However, there is a group of pupils who've been ignored by this because there is a right of appeal if you're unhappy uh, with with uh, with what you've got, unless your school did this. Is, I mean, it's a complicated term, the CAGS. The, uh, this is, of course, the centre, um, what is it called? The centre assessment grade. So when your school basically assessed you as saying, we think you're going to get a C grade, um, but actually um, uh, th- this when they actually made an, a, an allowance for what the school normally delivers, they worked out that actually on average someone would have got a D grade and they gave you a D. You can't appeal that D grade. You can only appeal it if it was the algorithm that Ofqual had that, that forced you down. Are you going to allow kids? I mean, there are kids I've seen online who say they've missed out on a place at medical school. They were expecting A's. They got downgraded to B's. They've missed out on their place. Yes, they can retake the exams, but they can't get into medical school this year and the like. Isn't it not fair that the youngsters who had their grades downgraded by their school, who, who basically applied this, this algorithm effectively themselves in advance, that they should also have a right of appeal? Well, this is something that the exam boards have been looking at. The regulator published quite detailed uh, guidance about the grounds for appeal and your assessment of that advice is, is correct. Uh, schools can't appeal on the basis of the judgments that the teachers made or indeed the adjustments that the school will have made to make sure that they were consistent year on year. But if the school can demonstrate that somehow that the data that the, that is being used is wrong, they can appeal on the basis of wrong data. Um, these are difficult decisions. We wanted to have a consistency between schools. The model that the regulator used was 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 uh, published. They consulted widely on it. It had a lot of support from across the school system. But what went wrong was how that model, which is is a, is the right approach to ensuring consistency, the, what went wrong was how that model then translated through the algorithm into actual grades. And we saw some of the terrible results that we saw when the A-levels came out. That's why we, the regulator took swift action uh, and the recalculated grades were with, it, were with schools within 48 hours of, of, uh, of, of the recalculation happening. Okay. But in terms of, of the judgments that schools made, uh, they were uh, correctly using the, uh, the the model that had been consulted on, that had widespread uh, support in the school sector to make sure that a school's results were consistent with the results that they had achieved in recent years. And if it's if that data on which those judgments uh, are made is wrong, then that is a ground. It's, it's not the data. The schools are the most honest. Their pupils are the ones who've suffered the most, which seems unfair. Just fine. And I know I need to let you go at 9.19. But uh, Marcus Rashford, he forced a U-turn from the government on uh, school holiday vouchers uh, for free school meals. Uh, he's now written to MPs saying he's uh, gone to, uh, uh, but signed up with Aldi and Tesco, Deliveroo and Kellogg's uh, to form a group called the Child Poverty, sorry, Child Food Poverty Task Force. Um are you willing to work with Marcus Rashford and these organisations to try and tackle this issue? Obviously, it's a massive issue for schools, children who don't uh, get the right nutrition. Yes, of course, and we share the the objective. We don't want to see uh, the poverty uh, that and the hunger that Marcus Rashford talks about in his letter. We share that same objective, and that's why all the measures that we put in place to protect jobs and incomes during the lockdown were so important. And the extra money we put into the welfare system, an extra thousand pounds a year, on universal credit, uh, and and we will work, and we will look at the uh, policies that uh, Marcus has Mark Rashford has suggested in his letter to see whether it's the most effective way on delivering those objectives. Interestingly, Julia, in his letter, he talks about very compellingly, actually, about his own personal experience 
uh, growing up. And then, and he says in his letter, it was only his uh, success at football that helped him and his family to pull out of that situation. And what I would say is that for most people, the only way out of poverty is education. And that's why I'm, as you said earlier, so passionate uh, about making sure that the education that's available to people, young people from disadvantaged backgrounds is of the same quality as the education that people from wealthier backgrounds take for granted. That's why I focus so much and the government has focused since 2010 on improving the reading, the way reading is taught, the maths is taught, that you, more young people are taking those core academic subjects, you know, languages, science, uh, history, geography, English and maths that are taken for granted in more affluent parts of the country. And that's the objective of, of me, it's objective of the government and it's the objective of the Prime Minister to level up standards right across the country. Nick Gibb, uh, School Standards Minister. Online, on DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. First up, though, let's talk about rather more important things that do matter, and that's uh, getting schools reopened. Uh, four out of ten schools in England go back today. The rest are hopefully in the next couple of days. But keeping them open safely is a national priority. Who says that? Well, uh, Toby Perkins, Shadow Education Minister and local, sorry, and Labour MP, who joins us right now. Good morning to you, Toby. Hi, good morning. Hi. I mean, obviously, this is such a priority, not just for children's education, but getting parents back in the workplace as well, getting the kids back to school six months after the schools were closed. Um, what do you think the top priority for the government should be and indeed head teachers right now? 
Well, I mean, the absolute priority needs to be to make sure that everything that can be done to ensure that schools are safe is being done. That's partly about having a testing and tracing regime people can have confidence in. It's also about trying to make sure that schools are given all the support they need um, to make their environment safe. And one of the things that we're calling for is that all head teachers, uh, that all schools um, should have uh, a mask policy uh, in communal areas rather than it being left open to head teachers to make a, a choice and it being different in two different schools 50 yards apart as, as could currently happen. So um, that's the real priority to uh, get schools back to, to get children back to school because the, the consequences for children not being at school are very significant. Indeed. There, there was a mask policy in, uh, in communal areas. It was they shouldn't wear masks at all in school. Um, and that was the advice of the, of the chief medical officer and the deputy chief medical officer. And uh, and, the, and then Nicola Sturgeon decided to change her policy and insist on uh, a, a requirement that children wear masks in communal areas. Given that we know um, how little uh, the, the virus um, uh, can affect children and, and how little children in other countries have been spreading the virus to you know spreading the virus sorry to um, their teachers and and at home as a result of going back why do you think that we need to have masks worn in communal areas by children well the who advice on this did change so you're right that previously the advice had been against that but uh, about two or three uh, about two weeks ago the who advice did change on that i think that um in terms of older children, 12 plus, there is a lot of evidence that they, um, whilst they don't get that ill with it themselves, they, they are likely to um, transmit and, and pass on the virus. Um, and every step that can be taken to protect children's education must be taken. And, and you know, we think masks are a, a sensible part of uh, a mediation strategy to prevent transmission of, uh, of coronavirus. Um, do you think that parents who refuse to send their children to school, we know something like a third of parents say they're concerned about uh, the safety in schools, do you think that they should face fines? No, I don't. That's not, that shouldn't be the priority for, um, for government. I think that uh, a lot more needs to be done to ensure, to work with parents, to ensure they're confident. It is important, the message goes out, that children should be in school, that government uh, and schools are working hard to make sure uh, that the school environment is safe uh, and that parents should have confidence to send their children back. But if due to their, their personal circumstances there's a particular reason why they're not, then the school should be working closely with uh, the parent um, to about why it's important to get them back, about the consequences of not going back, but also to try and alleviate any health concerns they have, rather than the, the sort of the stick of the fines raising. Well, apart from the fact that, look, you know, I'm a parent, my kid's going back to school this Thursday, I can't wait, she can't wait. Chief Medical Officer tells us it's safe for kids to go back. Got to be honest with you, he's got rather more expertise than I or most parents have got. That's good enough for me. Why should schools spend their time... Um, trying to cajole and convince parents who are quite clearly aren't looking at the medical and scientific evidence and haven't listened to all the reassurance that has come out from people who do know a lot better than them, who say, oh, I don't think it's safe. If they don't send their kids to school, they sh- they're breaking the law, the schools are open, shouldn't they face a fine? Wouldn't that focus minds and be rather less effort for the schools? Well, I mean, I, I think that, you know, you don't know the uh, health circumstances of, of no, individuals. No, 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 if someone has got, no, if someone's shielding, I, that, then there need to be, you know, some sort of measures well, in exactly. place. That, that, no, no, that won't be the vast example. majority of parents in this situation. You know that and I know that. Uh, well, the, the vast majority of, of children will be going back and, and I think the vast majority of parents will, will welcome that. 
But all I'm saying is that, you know, I can't sit here in London and tell you what the case is in every single child, every single family's environment. Uh, and I think at this moment, after the shock we've been through, you know, the priority needs to be giving parents confidence rather than trying to find them. Um, yeah, I just I just don't know how you're going to give confidence to people who have not to this point listened to the facts. Well, I mean, I think it is important that, uh, that that we do everything we can to get the medical evidence across to them. I agree with that. Um, but the fact is that the government's advice has been changing so many times. That there is a lack of confidence in the Department of Education, in the Education Secretary, um, that when he says something on Monday, it's still what he believes by Wednesday. So, you know, I, I can understand that. But the message from the Labour Party, having worked closely with schools, is that, you know, there is a real damage to children being done by not being in schools. And therefore, we want uh, all yeah. parents to feel confident to get the children back in. Now, your boss, the uh, Shadow Education Secretary, Kate Green, was talking about uh, exams being delayed yesterday. It looks yeah. like, once again, another U-turn, another move from Gavin Williamson, the Education Secretary, hinting yesterday that, uh, yeah, they are looking at exams moved. When do you want exams, the GCSEs and the A-levels, when do you want them moved to? Currently, those exams normally will be May and June. Uh, are you suggesting they move all the way to July, at the end of the summer term? Um, past the end of the summer term how long much longer do you think children need I mean, to catch up those lessons well i, th I think the, the evidence in terms of how far children are behind is that on average about three months that it's probably more than that um in terms of children from more deprived communities but we couldn't afford um for exams to be delayed for that long so so alongside a, a delay in exams there needs to be a real program put in place to support children to catch up i think we've been suggesting somewhere like late June, early July, um, but there needs to be a lot of work done on both sides of this equation. Firstly, to see how much time is needed. Secondly, to see what needs to be put in place to support the qualification assessment regime to ensure that we get results early enough to, for, for students to then move on from those results to be able to, to get to university by September, October. So you know, there is a lot of work that needs to be done here and that's what civil servants are for. But we're just getting out there in front saying, you know, government needs to be um, putting in place a delay exactly how long they need to work on. Uh, and I'm, I'm welcome the fact that government government's language appears to be changing today and they appear to be moving towards coming to that position. I suspect they will end up there um, with, with exams delayed. But the sooner they do that, the sooner that students and, and teachers know what they're talking about. Online, on DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. But the front page of loads of the newspapers today is a picture of Adele, the new slimline uh, Adele, of course, looking absolutely fantastic. And let's not forget that, of course, her biggest sin always has been uh, that she actually lost weight. Not allowed to do that, ladies, because then you upset the, uh, the, the fattest fit brigade. But uh, she's got in trouble. Uh, because she posted a photograph of herself as a long time, you know, born Londoner, uh, basically celebrating the Notting Hill Carnival that didn't happen this last bank holiday weekend. Uh, she wore her uh, lovely. Uh, Jamaican flag pattern bikini uh, she had her hair in what's called bantu knots, uh, little knots on top of her head with a big yellow feather behind her she's now at the centre of a storm of what apparently is a controversial hairstyle uh, and has been accused of cultural appropriation uh, an American journalist Ernest Owens who is himself black said if 2020 couldn't get any more bizarre Adele is giving us bantu knots and cultural appropriation that nobody asked for this officially marks all of the top white women in pop as problematic hate to see it she has however been defended by naomi campbell and others um 
But what is cultural appropriation and what right does anyone have to say that anyone else can't have a particular hairstyle or hair colour? Let's talk about this with uh, Inayaya Folarin Oman. She's a columnist at Spiked Online and founder of the Equiano Project, a project seeking to promote free speech, particularly on issues of race. Good morning to you, Inayaya. Good morning. Thank I mean, you for having me. I, I have to say, I, I, when I see these stories, I, I do despair, especially when the newspapers or the uh, online articles will talk about controversial hairstyles and things like that. There's nothing controversial about any hairstyle. We decided earlier on the show that perhaps if she'd had a, a swastika sort of shaved into her head, yes, that would be controversial. <laughs> but but sporting, sporting a particular kind of short braid, how is that controversial? It is just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, it just shows the contradictions in so much of these arguments. On the one hand, we hear that, oh, you know, certain cultures are being marginalised and they're not getting enough attention. And then on the other hand, when certain other cultures become internationalised and we celebrate the kind of diversity of hairstyles and dress and food, that's so-called problematic. I mean, you, you really can't win. If we were to kind of go through every single thing in the world and, and find out its origins, we, we would never be able to do that. That's impossible. We welcome um, celebration of different cultures and, and all different people enjoying um, the fruits of other people. But this is it. It's the idea that, that there is one culture, again, what do you mean by culture, owns a hairstyle or owns a style of food. I thought one of the, the people who are, are massively into sort of diversity of race and religion and culture, they're the people saying how wonderful it is because we can have, a, say, a wonderfully diverse culture and see people uh, and meet with people who have very diverse uh, appearances and the like and, and eat different food and the like. And, and yet we're told, but we but we must we must admire it, but we must not partake take of it if we've committed the terrible sin of of being white and British. But what's fascinating is, again, is an American commenting on a British woman celebrating a British festival and all the culture around that, which I find utterly bizarre, bearing in mind also that the Bantu knots are apparently an African style of hair. Um, But what's interesting, we never seem to see the same criticism of, say, someone like Beyonce, a black pop star who wears long blonde hair, which is... I mean, I'm sure maybe maybe it is possible for for black women to naturally have that hair. I, I I'm not aware of that. It's not my it's not my area of expertise. I have no issue whatsoever with any hairstyle that any woman of any colour chooses to have. Not my business. Don't care. But why is it that 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 Adele gets attacked for having a supposedly African hairstyle, but Beyonce has a supposedly white woman's blonde hairstyle? And no one criticises her. What are the rules when it comes to controversial hairstyles? Oh, I, I don't think there is any rules. I think it's a, a self-appointed group of people that choose to um, be the spokesperson for the entirety of humanity and decide what is and isn't acceptable. And what they really want to do is keep people in their silos, keep people in very rigid categories. And what they say, stay in your lane, never, never leave um, the kind of category to which they kind of impose upon you. And I think what is really revealing is actually what many people have been saying for several months now, which is the, the dangers of Supporting wholesale the American racial culture wars to Britain when it's a completely different context. You know, this person clearly has no idea about the, the festivals and, and, the, and the culture and all of the different things that happen in Britain, such as Notting Hill Carnival, and has taken it upon himself to judge 
people when he knows nothing about it. And actually what's been very positive on this particular situation, which has been rare, is that we have seen quite a significant pushback yes. from, as you said, Naomi Campbell. Many um, black Brits are saying, you don't know what you're talking about. This is completely fine. And actually, you know, Adele grew up in London. There's nothing yeah. wrong well, and, and with yet, And yet again, even the justifications for her doing it, the fact that, well, black people have said it's OK. Oh, well, no, but she's from London. It's not... In a way, those are also problematic. I don't. She can be from sodding Switzerland for all I care. Oh. She's still allowed to have whatever darn haircut she wants. People don't own. Ethnicity doesn't own a haircut, and it seems to me that the vast majority of people of whatever colour will find this bizarre. And yet we talk about it. now. A part of me it says. I shouldn't talk about it because I'm in a way making it more of a story by talking about it. But when it's on the front page of virtually every newspaper and they've put it on there because they know you know, she's a huge star, people want to see pictures of her. But the fact that the word controversial can be used about a, a, a hairstyle mm-hmm. tells us that we do have a battle to fight. And if we don't address this and we don't call it out for what it is, which is, I mean, frankly, I think an awful lot of this, this, this is just misogynism. I really think a lot of this is just men who hate women and just want to criticise a woman for every single thing. But also, this is racism. If you're saying that a white woman can't do something because of the colour of her skin, I'm sorry, that's racism. No, I, I completely agree with you. I do think it's racism. I actually think it's very dangerous because, you know, how can we ever move forward if, if the, very, the only reason somebody can't do something is because of the colour of their skin? Yeah. I think that is completely stupid. It's, cannot... it's also what the white supremacists want us to have, isn't it? I mean, we're all playing into their hands. Oh, exactly. You, you can't fight racism with racism. And this is literally what these people are promoting. And it will only lead to further division. I think whatever your culture is, whatever your colour is, if you want to enjoy something that might originate somewhere else, that is your prerogative. Feel free to do that. The, the more mixing and integration we have, the better, in my view. Online, on DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.